Hi, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. I'm excited to announce our 10th anniversary of Coaching You. We plan on celebrating by having our very first VIP experience event this summer in Las Vegas at Impact Basketball. Same great quality, terrific speakers, but here's what's new. This is a VIP-only event with only 100 courtside seats available. Here's what's included. All videos, courtside seating, meals, Coaching You t-shirt, pad folio, and a chance to network with our speakers. Act now to take advantage of our holiday special, only $2.99 through December. Register now at coachingyoulive.com. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I think you're really going to enjoy today. Uh, Matt Painter, the head coach at Purdue University, uh, one of the best teams in the country. Um, you know, just a guy that, you know, really coaches the way you're supposed to coach in college. His teams play so hard. They're so solid at both ends of the floor. They move the ball. They play as a team. They have a big inside-out game. Um, you know, just a fabulous program. Got to spend some time this fall with Matt. Got to see first half what he and his staff do with their players. And uh, it's, a, it's a fabulous thing. So as a high school coach if you or a college coach, uh, if you ever have a chance to go up and spend some time with Matt and his staff at Purdue, a, a terrific investment of your time. Uh, I think you'll find uh, this is absolutely one of my most enjoyable and favorite podcasts. You're going to learn so much about coaching of all the ins and outs of why you should be coaching, I think you'll be an experience that you'll never forget. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Hey, this is the coach, Brendan Sir, back with another Coaching You podcast. And so excited today, as I mentioned earlier, my guest is Matt Painter, the head coach at Purdue University, and a dear friend, Matt, welcome to our show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, you know, we have so many common friends, but uh, when we spent some time together this fall, I found out something about you and something that a lot of people that don't know you well. Tell me about your love for baseball and especially Cubs yeah. baseball. Yeah, obviously it's it's kind of driven through the Cubs. I, I grew up a baseball fan. Um, I, I played baseball up until ninth grade, but um, stopped just because I didn't think that I was a college baseball player more or less I wasn't I was barely going to be a high school player if I if I was going to even be that so 
Um, but I always liked baseball. I liked the strategy of baseball. I liked the thinking part. Um, you know, I like going to a game and kind of contemplating. I think it's <clears throat> for people that aren't that way. That's the reason you hear people say, ah, it's, it's kind of a boring game. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for people who like, like the game and think the game, it's not a boring game because you're, there's, there's always so many different things, you know, that can happen in the game of baseball and, you know, why guys are doing what they're doing. And I think it drives some people crazy that managers now just, want to get to the fifth inning or the sixth, you know, get five good innings from somebody. And then all of a sudden this guy pitches the six, this guy pitches the seventh, this guy pitches the eighth, yeah. you know? And so it's, it's a lot different than it used to be when, you know, managers looked at, at, at pitchers uh, getting a complete game. But, um, I grew up a Cincinnati Reds fan, um, big red machine. So 75 and 76, I was a kindergartner, first grader. My parents used to take me to the game. We were only yeah. an hour and 45 minutes from Cincinnati about three, four years later. You know, Pete Rose leaves and goes to the Phillies. Tony Perez goes to the Expos. And when you're in third grade, you don't understand that. You know, you're like, why, you know, why isn't Pete who, you know, was it was a guy that you looked at when you're little and, you know, you were told, you know, this is how you play. You play like Pete Rose. Yeah. When, you, when you get a walk, you sprint to first base. You know, when you see guys, you know, they're taking off all their stuff and their different stuff. And, you know, Pete was already at first base, you know, ready to play. And that was kind of the way you were taught as a kid in the backyard and whatever, you know, play like Pete Rose. And so when he leaves the, the Cincinnati Reds, that's when cable hit. So up until I was nine years old, we had three channels. You know, we had NBC, we had CBS, we had ABC. And then we had Channel 4, which was the local channel, which was fuzzy. We always would get the, the <laughs> rabbit ears up there and get the tinfoil going so we could watch. Back then it was the Indiana games, Indiana and Purdue games were wow. on there in the Big Ten. And that's how you watched Big Ten basketball. Um, and you waited for those games and, and so that was it, you know, that was the only, only thing that you had. And then cable hit when cable hit, I got mad about the reds. The Cubs didn't have lights in their stadium. And, and, and so when you got home from school, you know, your third, fourth, fifth grade, you had cartoons (laughs) and you had the Cubs when, you know, when it, when it first started. And so it was on after school. So you went from kind of like, Oh man, the Cubs, you know, you don't want to watch the Cubs to where I, I grew into a Cubs fan because it was always on. And uh, my favorite player at the time was Dave Kingman, who used to strike out a lot but also hit some towering home runs. And uh, Harry Carey obviously was doing the games. And so that's how I became a, a, a Cubs fan and really got into it and stuff. So um, it was great a couple years ago, obviously, winning the World Series. and But I've always followed them and stayed close with them and, and uh, just kind of kind of hung in there. And, and that's what it is to be a fan. That's what I always say when a lot of people come to me in our state. There's so many people in our state that didn't didn't attend Indiana University, but they're Indiana fans. Uh, you know, it's always the old saying in our state that, you know, you're a Notre Dame football fan and you're an Indiana basketball fan. Um, and that's, that's kind of your allegiance because Notre Dame's always been, you know, very, very good from a traditional standpoint in football and then Indiana, obviously in basketball. So people always come up to me and say, Hey, I, you know, I root for you guys. Um, besides when you play Indiana, which is a total, <laughs> which you know, and I know is a total lie Yeah. because when you're a fan of somebody, like I don't sit around and say, you know what? I root for the St. Louis Cardinals, <laughs> you know, as long as they're not playing the Cubs, well, that's, that's hogwash. You know, I don't ever root for the St. Louis Cardinals. You know what I mean? I root for the Cubs. I'm a Cubs fan. And so when people, in our state kind of come up to you and, and, and say those things and I'm an Indiana fan and I'm this and I'm that, but I like you guys, you know, I like, the, you know, they're just lying to you. So it's uh it's, it's always a very interesting thing, but 
you should be with your team, you know, whoever your team is. I'm, I'm, I'm big on that. That's your, that's your loyalty. You know, if that's your deal, if you're a Indiana basketball fan or you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan, that's your team, you know, stick with your team and defend your team. And, and no matter what stick by them. I think so much now in coaching, and it's always been this way through the years, it's the critical, you know, you've been in New York with the Knicks and, you know, just how, you know, people are more critical sometimes than they are supportive. And, you know, I think that's something that I grew up with the Cubs. People always laughed at you and joked, ah, you guys are the laughable losers, whatever. Well, this is my team. And one of the first things I learned in coaching <clears throat> at a Division three school was I was complaining. There was, a, there was an offensive coordinator. I think he was offensive coordinator. He was either that or the defensive coordinator at a school called Washington Jefferson in Washington, Pennsylvania. And I was complaining. I was playing pickup with the players. I just got done playing at Purdue, and I was playing pickup with the guys I was getting ready to coach, and it was Division three and um, – and I came and I was like, ah, you know, we were 12 and 11 the year before. I'm like, we don't have this. We don't have this. We don't have this. This, And all of a sudden, this coach grabbed me and says, let me explain something to you. Don't ever complain about what you got because that's all you got. He goes, make the best of it. You guys got to figure out a way to win with what you have. You can't trade in this business. This is college. And I was like, whoa. You know, I was 23 years old and he was probably, I don't know, mid to late 40s. And I was like, all right. But it was a great lesson for me is like, you know, get who you have to get. And if you come up a little bit short, don't say, ah, we're a little bit short and you haven't played a game. Get it figured out. You know, do everything in your power as a coach to develop them, to help them, to nurture them, to get them to be at maximum performance instead of already having a built-in excuse. Because I think that's the one thing as coaches we hate for players is they already have a reason why they're not going to do it. Don't have a reason why you're not going to do it. Have a reason why you're going to do it. And if you fall short, have the solution. And that to me was kind of the way I've always operated and been that way. And I'm, I'm that way as a fan. Um, you know, when I watch Purdue football or I watch the Cubs or I watch the Pacers who I root for, I root for a lot of NBA people that, um, you know, when our former players, you know, play when Glenn Robinson was in the NBA, I obviously I rooted for the Bucks a lot because he was with the Bucks majority of the time. So things of that nature, I, I, I try to, I'm a people person and, and stick with it. But the Cubs, obviously, to, to kind of come back full circle, that, that's obviously my team. All right. If you were managing a professional baseball team, who would you manage like? I really like, and it's, you know, it's kind of the flavor of the month here because he is our manager. But I, I've read, uh, you know, a Cubs way, Tom Verducci. Uh, yeah, great that book did, did a great job of writing that book. Um would be Joe Madden. I, you know, I, I like that Joe Madden has evolved into himself. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, he's really good at being Joe Madden. And I think sometimes we get away from that. Like I, you know, we have a swing coach here at Purdue named Dan Ross. And he said something, he said a couple things to me. That's always stuck with me. And I always like listening to the old coach. It's like sitting on a porch, listening yeah. To your great grandpa, you know, they just have so much wisdom, and they've, but they've also lost a lot. <laughs> and so, when you get the old coaches that we all respect, they've lost a lot. They've learned a lot of hard lessons through the years, and that's the one thing as a coach: if you can learn through other people's failures, you're going to be more successful. But it's hard. We we normally got to learn, you know, kind of kind of on our own. But he, you know, he just said the only thing he's really good at after trying to copy so many people is being himself. And even though he can take some things from some other people, he still has to be Dan Ross. And I've always thought that through as you went along. But, you know, be yourself. You know, everybody else is taken. 
And um, that's uh, that's always kind of stuck with me. And then one of my first meetings I had here before I even coached a game, he told me, you know, being the head coach at Purdue, you're a lot bigger than you think you are, but you're also a lot smaller than you think you are. And that really has set home with me is like, you know, you're, you're no different than anybody else besides the fact that I was in the right place at the right time, two different times in my career. Um, sure. You got to work hard. Sure. You got to have some success, but I was very, very fortunate. So, you know, be, you know, the way I took it was be humble, be grateful for your opportunity. Don't forget where you came from, but also realize more people are watching. And that's kind of the, the piece of you're a lot bigger than you think you are. There's a lot more people watching you. There's a lot more people. And I also look at that as I don't just represent myself and my family. You know, I represent where I'm from. Um, I represent my institution. You know, you represent a lot of people. And sometimes when things are critical or people are coming down hard um, or whatever, it's all right to be quiet. It's all right to kind of just kind of stand pat. You don't always have to answer everything. You know, just be professional, keep moving in the right direction. You know, hard times don't keep lasting. You know, they don't last forever, those hard times. Just keep putting your best foot forward and keep fighting and try to set a good example for your players. When you you played for, you know, great coach in, in college and, you know, your philosophy, and you coached against a lot of and played against a lot of great coaches and coached against a lot of guys, your philosophy and how it's evolved, first of all, the philosophy of, what is coaching to you? Just that that term. What is coaching right. to you? Well, well, coaching is. There's a lot of things going. Obviously, you know, just being a, you know, you're like a teacher. Like I always wanted to be, like a high school coach. Um, I don't think I don't know if I wanted to be in a classroom every day for seven eight hours. I think that's what kind of got me from listening to a lot of people who coached and taught in high school was a majority of them weren't excited about that piece. And I think what happens is, is you get into comparison, you know, did they, did they mind teaching? No, that's who they are. They're an educator. They're a teacher. They, but in comparison, what would you rather do? Would you rather teach social studies for six periods a day? Or would you rather cut film, recruit, be around players? Well, that's an easy one. (laughs) <laughs> it's not hard to right. figure out. So when I got into it, I said, you know, I want to, I'm going to be a college basketball coach. And I think what the, the definition of coaching, it, it's more than, than the basketball piece. And some people on the outsides don't understand that. Like you'll get people that'll say, hey, well, what do you guys do when you don't have games? Mm. And you're like, well, what do you mean? You know, it's like you're, you're, you're constantly helping guys, nurturing guys. We have, um, a very good setup here from an academic standpoint. We have great academic people around. Um, our education is is elite here at, at Purdue. Um, but we also know that education has nothing to do with going to a class. There's a lot of educated people out in this world that never went to college. Right. And there's a lot of clowns with a college degree. So, you know, <laughs> maybe that's a little harsh. But no, it's we, we, we spot all know, on. We, yeah. you know, we all understand that because – you know, education is really like how you treat people. You know, education is being respectful of others, um, especially when there's differences. And so I think the education piece of them understanding, you know, you have an opportunity where you're not better than other people, but you've got an opportunity where you can get yourself in, in some better spots because of the opportunity. I mean, besides like the military, those opportunities have just really like changed people's life. If you think about somebody 
you know, joining the military and making those decisions and fighting for your country. But also they've done some things where people are, you know, they're, they're not on the right track. And now they go to the military and it gets that discipline in their life and gets that understanding in their life and gets that faith, whatever it is for them in that combination that now they get on the right track. Well, opportunities like this, you know, this doesn't send you to the NBA. Go look at the numbers. If you get a division one scholarship, I mean, go look at the numbers of who makes the NBA and who gets drafted. And you got 60 guys getting drafted, but you don't have 60 guys making the NBA every year. That's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take from a domestic standpoint, how many guys are leaving college and then making it, I don't know what the number is, but I would guess it's around 35 to 40 that are making it each year. So that's not a very, very high number. So understanding to you know your guys, of, I want this to be your dream of making the NBA, but I also want you to have two dreams. I want you to have a dream through education. I want you to have a dream through basketball. So I always try to sell that. So the coaching piece to me is through education, through relationships, you know, and, and making sure that I'm treating them like it'd be my own son, you know, just that, that that's, mm-hmm. you know, you got to be harsh at times. You have to be on edge. You have to be a truth teller, but you can do it in a way to them to where it's like you don't have to be a name caller you don't have to be derogatory all the time you can be open you can be honest you can be fair you can be with them now when those things don't get met or people aren't trying to do what's best for the team now you got to be able to get them and make them understand but I think that comes through communication I think sometimes people equate coaching with yelling and I don't and I'm not a yeller Um, but if you see me during the game I yell a lot well you explain to me how I need to communicate with 15,000 people there. Right. You know, if you gave me an, a, an empty gym, it'd be a different thing. I would just talk. You know, I always like the officials piece of it where they say, hey, quit yelling at me. Well, quit calling the call and then going across <laughs> the court then. What would you like me? And he goes, hey, Matt, I'm not going to have you yell at me. I was like, is this your first game refing? I mean, are you being serious? They have done this on purpose and they have sent you across so we can't talk. But yet you will walk to me before the game and say, hey, Matt, I'm here for you. What do you need? You know, just let's just talk it through. Well, by the time you get around and you stand next to me and it's a dead ball, 10 plays could have happened on both ends. And, and so when, it, when you kind of get to that point with, with players, I think you got to build that relationship with them. But you also have to go from a recruiting standpoint, and it's got to start there. Hey, this is the way it is. This is the way it is in our program. So when something goes awry, you're not playing as much, you're not starting or whatever. Hey, let's go back to what we talked to in the beginning. This is what I said. You know, I talked about your opportunity. I talked about where we thought you would be, but there's no promises. This is competition, and we are going to play the best players for Purdue. And sometimes it's not the most talented guys, but it's the most productive guys or the most responsible guys. And the thing that happens in college coaching, I think you can um, really attest to this, is whatever happens off the court comes on it. So, But that doesn't have to be bad. That can be good. So if you take care of your business, you don't get in trouble, you're always on time, that comes on the court. If you think that discipline there doesn't help you being a more disciplined basketball player, you're crazy. It does. But if you're a guy that's not responsible, you don't listen, um, even if like you're a good kid, if you're not a good listener and you can't be places on time and you're not totally engaged all the time what's going on, you're the guy who walks out of the huddle and says, hey, what are we running? 
what are we running? And the best player in the world's done it. There's not a player who's ever played who has never done that. But the great ones don't do it a lot. And they, they do it every blue moon. Um, the ones that are engaged, the ones that take care of the business, the ones that have consistency in their life, the ones that, you know, very, very few people can be social and do it at a moderate level. It's just the way it is. There's a reason why vices and things of that nature have ruined people's lives and ruined families. And you just, it's hard. And so when you have young people in that social stratosphere, you know, when I always say you have your family, you have your religion, you have academics, and then you have basketball and socials, the fifth. And if social gets in front of any of those, you're probably in trouble. You're probably in trouble. So your priorities are your priorities. But only thing I'm saying to you is social has to be fifth. So you got family, you got religion, you got academics, you got basketball. If the social piece in whatever capacity leapfrogs any of them, boy, we're going to have problems here. And you're going to have problems if you don't, you know, get it under control or whatever, because it's it's proven to win. That that the social piece, when you do it at an extreme level and it gets spiraling out of control, that's going to overtake everything. That's going to ha- you're going to have a problem with all those other four things um, because you just can't simply do it. So we try to do a lot of things um, in prevention and of understanding of like you know you don't want to go down that road. You don't want to you know even dabble in it because that's how it starts. That's how things start with guys. And then guys think that it's okay and they got it under control or whatever. And that's, you know, it's getting ready to get them because it never really, you know, gets to that point, you know, and then all of a sudden when it breaks, because it only takes one time, it only takes one time to lose a life or ruin a career, or, you know, what have you. And I know that's kind of extreme stuff, but that's the world we live in. That's education. That's college basketball. That's teaching. That's coaching. And it all encompasses everything, but everybody also has different dynamics and different issues. So you got to know your players. You got to know what they're doing. You can't say, hey, I know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. You know, I had some experience, maybe like it, but I didn't grow up in, you know, in, in your family dynamic. I didn't grow up where you're from. So you have to be open. You have to be forthright with them. Um, but you also got to be somebody where they can trust you. They might not like you every day, but they got to be able to trust you. Coaching and parenting as a skill set. The way it is now with the young people that you're coaching, as opposed to professional basketball, you are, in many cases, the person is accepting all the responsibilities of being the parent to that child while he's away from home or maybe doesn't have one, you know, at home. And all the things that you were just talking about, frankly, are parenting things that, and we both know, hey, I got two kids. Shoot, they didn't listen to me a lot, right? And I'm I'm winning world championships, and my kids aren't listening to me. And 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 and, 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 and but these other young people, that responsibility I can tell weighs greatly with you, doesn't it? Yes, and I, and I think that's you know what it's about. Like at times, guys leave and they're a little bit salty. They're just you fought them. Mm-hmm. You know, you fought them. Like that's my job. My my job is not for some kid to like me. You know, my, my job is somebody to respect me when they turn 30. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not asking you to respect me now. You, you, a, lot, a, lot of guys, a lot of times guys don't have the capacity to do it. And that kind of seems like, boy, you're not giving them some, some credit. You know, it's, you, well, you haven't been through it. You know, I, I can't be their friend. They got enough friends. And, and to their defense, 
when they fail, they hear it more now because of social media. They hear it. They see it. They read it. Or this guy. Well, every now and then basketball, you go for it for 15. You know what? And the other team has some good players too, you know, but it doesn't read that way. You know, every, you know, I don't zone. Right. And the, the, the go back and do it. I've done a study. You know, it's not doing a study. It's just having a little bit of sense. You can do it on Wikipedia if you want. <laughs> go back and look who's won the Big Ten in the last 40 years and tell me if they zone. I'm not saying it's not the right thing. I'm not saying Syracuse couldn't come into our league and Coach Beheim couldn't win our league by zoning. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the people that win our league play man-to-man. Mm-hmm. And they've done it since I was born. And so I grew up, I played for a man-to-man guy. We grew up watching Coach Knight in Indiana, who was a man-to-man guy. You know, Tom Izzo's a man-to-man guy. Bo Ryan, Thad Mata, Bruce Weber. You name the people that have won our league and won it more than once here in the past 40 years. Um, you know, they're traditional man-to-man people. And that's that's the way we, you know, that's the way you operate. But whenever we lose, they're like, hey, do you ever think about switching, you know, doing whatever? And, you know, at, at times that, the, you know, you have to be comfortable with being yourself and strong in your convictions and how the game should be played through your eyes. Nobody's, nobody else. People say, oh, you're doing it a disservice. They look at it as coaching. Well, the element of change in coaching bothers some people. But, you know, if you've ever listened to Dean Smith and, and, you know, him talk about it or read his books or talk about it, he goes, well, when we had all the multiple defenses, he goes, we really weren't great at any of them. We were just seeing what you weren't good at. But would he do that if he had above average talent? Would he do that if he just had good talent? You know, he does that with majority of the years with the best talent or really close to it. Yeah. And that's something that's it's a little bit different, but it was it was the right thing for him at North Carolina. And that's what sometimes people lose is like when you don't take a kid or you pass on a kid and he goes somewhere else and he's successful and they said, see, you should have took him. And they, and they could be right, but he might not have been right for you at your school and how you played or how you operated or how you did things from a program standpoint. So there's a lot of different things that that really go into things. And sometimes, you know, that's hard for people. If you sit around and try to answer all that in coaching, oh man, you're going to go stir crazy. You just are. And that kind of gets back to what we're talking about yeah. with the parenting, with the coaching and what you're doing. Um, like I'm open to somebody calling me as a parent and some coaches aren't, I'm, I'm, I'm open to now. We're not going to have dialogue every day. <laughs> um, and some guys are like, no, we're not going to do it. And I respect that. And I understand that especially sometimes when you're on the phone with somebody, what the parent can't understand is they see them before they got there and they see them in the games when they get to your place. But what they also can't understand is this is my 25th year of coaching. I played four years before that. I got recruited two years before that. So I grew up on a college campus. I've lived on a college campus my whole life. Um, I do have a pulse on some things, but I can't explain to them my 29 years in college basketball. Right. (laughs) And so that is why the coaches who are probably smarter than I am. Don't get on the phone with parents because they can't explain, but I would like to get on the phone with them. It is their child. And if there is something that is bothering them or something from a social standpoint or an academic standpoint, I'm all for that, but I don't get on the phone with, with parents for that. They, they, they don't like if, if I need to do that, I will do that more than anything. It's, it's about 
the playing time and the understanding. But I like the fact that they love their kid. You know, sure. I, I like that. You know what I mean? Sure. And so like to me, it was like, hey, I got three kids and I got you and I love you that there's a concern, but I'm not always going to do what's best for your son. I'm going to do what's best for our team. This is a team sport. And, you know, there's nothing like experience and there's nothing like experience of having success. So when younger people come in or whatever, they don't quite know it. You know, it's um, what's the old coaching saying? You know, you become us. We don't become you. <laughs> and um, that's that's a hard lesson sometimes for people to learn. It was a very hard lesson for me to learn. And um, but that's that's kind of part of it. But that's that's into parenting, you know, and that's into the coaching. And we've had some really, really good players here. And people will say, hey, you did a really good job with them. And I'll say, no, I think his parents did a really good job with him. You know, we just kind of got the the fruits of their labor. That's awesome. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastCout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. You know, coaching, teaching, uh, you're a person of incredible influence um, over these young people, and you love that, I can tell. But the reason that you do that, I think, Matt, is because you have been fortunate enough to have people who have influenced you. Talk about some of the people that have been an incredible influence on your life. Well, obviously, um, I think the people that, that help you when you at the beginning, like this is something I haven't done um, with my own children because of my occupation. And that's a hard thing. That's a hard pill to swallow. But uh, my parents were always there and supportive for me. Um, and I'm there and supportive for my children, but I'm not coaching my children. My dad coached um, me in baseball from kindergarten to fifth grade. Really? He coached me in basketball from kindergarten to sixth grade. So when you – you look at that and you look at, you know, the time that was spent when I was in fourth grade, my parents poured a 50 foot slab in my backyard for a full court basketball court. And then we put floodlights up off of railroad ties up in front of pine trees. And then the pine trees in the next door neighbor's house that stopped the wind. And it was just kind of a perfect setting. And those, those floodlights lit up our, didn't light up the court. It lit up our whole backyard. So guy, that's where we played. That's where we hooped. You know, and so after school, you know, running in, you know, watching the Cubs for an inning, running back out. And 
I was always a fool and I always, I hated mowing the lawn. And so I'd mow the lawn. I'd do two strips, run in, watch the Cubs bat. And then the Cubs got done batting, I'd go out and mow two more strips and come back. So it'd take you about five hours to mow the lawn. So, which should have took you 45 minutes. But, um, so that to me was kind of like, like my start. And, um, and we were in Fatchwood. My dad went to Indiana and uh, he'd take me around the state at times to watch guys that Indiana had signed. Um, you know, he went to the Rose Bowl last time Indiana was at the Rose Bowl and I think in the late sixties, I don't know the actual date, but he went to the final four in 76 and 81. And he took me in 87 there to the Superdome when Indiana, um, beat Syracuse. Key smart Uh, shot. Yeah. Yeah. Key smart hit that shot. So, um, so he, you know, he, he was able to coach me and, and be around. And so I think that was the start of that influence. I had a great high school coach, um, who was a very offensive minded, um, uh, coach, the one thing that he um, gave me that I tried to take from that, and I always appreciated. Obviously, I was a better player than the guys I played with um, in my high school, but we had some good high school teams. Was he always made you feel good about yourself? And I think in coaching, sometimes I always liked that. There's an old saying um, in football: "Is you know, don't feed sugar to mules." And that just more or less is just you know, be nasty and be hard on those linemen. Because they don't have to make a decision. They just got to do their job. You know, the tight end has to catch a ball. A receiver might get an end around. A running back's obviously going to get the ball handed off. And the quarterback's going to dominate the ball. And they got to feel good about themselves. Well, in basketball, everybody gets the ball. Mm-hmm. Not everybody shoots the same amount. But there's an element to what you have to do in teaching and coaching to where, hey, you got you got to be on edge, but you got to feel good about yourself. And so I've always – he always made me feel good about myself. And that was something – um, that I've always carried with me in coaching. I, I try to get guys, and I think about it during the game. Do they need to be on edge or do they need to feel better about themselves? Obviously, if things are flowing, you want it to keep flowing, but you also we've also seen the roadblocks while we're flowing. Then all of a sudden, like, what happened? Well, that's basketball. It's human nature. When you get up, it's human nature to relax. And when you get down, it's human nature to fight. That's just the, that's the reality of a game. And a lot of fans go, how can you do that? You know, you don't understand the game then if you don't realize, well, that's just, that's, it's human nature. It's human behavior. And so I've always tried to take from him, um, that, that piece of it. Then obviously coach Katie playing, um, for a guy that was just a, a very good motivator, a very good defensive coach, but he knew how to run a program. And I've, I've really taken that and, I remember him saying that anybody can have a good team, but we want to have a good program. And I've always Mm. equated that with doing what you're supposed to be doing. The education pieces and, you know, in play, we're not going to win at all costs. And then, but from a basketball standpoint, nobody's going to play harder out compete us. And I think that's, those are the things that he really tried to do. Um, And I've, I've kind of taken from it and tried to build off of it and just don't beat yourself. And I, I think so many times Purdue beats Purdue. Let's don't let's let's let Wisconsin or Northwestern beat us. Right. But don't Purdue doesn't need to beat Purdue tonight. And you'd be surprised if you just let the other team lose the game, they will. And it's not it's not the backbone of how you approach things because you're like, hey, let's just hold tight here. They're going to lose it. You'll never <laughs> say something like that. But it's just, hey, take care of the basketball. Let's get a quality shot. Let's set our defense. Let's do those constants right there. Let's make them score against us with a set defense as much as we can tonight. 
Let's let's get good shots. Let's and if that's early, let's and that's rhythm. Let's take them. Let's take them. We are going to and the term I've always used. Um, it might be the only term I've never stolen from somebody is patiently aggressive. And any that's offense. I don't need to say it. to a basketball mind when your mind starts churning when you hear patiently aggressive. It's obviously a play on words, but that's offense. I am going to be aggressive, and if it's there, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to be aggressive, and if it's not there, I'm going to show patience and run offense. If you have a team that is skilled and together and they can be the epitome of that phrase, you just improved your defense. And then all of a sudden people take a step back and they go, what do you mean? What do you mean? You're talking offense. Our game's, our game's connected. Our game's connected. The better you are in defense, the better you are in offense because you just created more offense because you're good on defense. And the better you are in offense, taking good shots, to not turning the basketball over, the more you're going to set your defense. And the opponent is not better when it's five-on-five five than they are when it's a primary break, like a three-on-one or a four-on-two. Mm-hmm. So that is what I kind of took from that and what I've really tried to work towards um, and getting our teams to understand it's the first thing I write on the board every game for offense because it's what it is. It doesn't change who we play. They might do different things, but it doesn't change how we approach it. We might have a different schematic, you know, look to some things, but that's what you need to be. You need to be patiently aggressive and understand those things. So I took that and kind of added to his core principles, and then we extended our defense and we picked the ball up. So we pressure the basketball. And so I want to make it tough for you to – be able to start your offense. I want to take some time off now with the 30 seconds. A lot of people want, they'll do the two, two, one or a zone press. And I've always liked to keep pressure on a point. I've always looked at that piece of it. Like you don't have a bunch of guys that, that can handle the ball. You know, some people might have a couple guys, but a lot of people don't. And we're going to kind of go at that point guard the whole game. We're going to make you work for everything. We're going to make you work and we're going to make you work and we're going to make you work. And then, but we're not going to take ourselves out of it where we're pressing and putting two people on the ball. And that's not our philosophy because now we're going to generate offense by doing that. You know, if you want to press then you need to give the time to pressing and then you're going to be good at it. I'm not going to give that kind of time to it. And we stick man to man in place. So from a program standpoint, you know, with everything that Coach Katie did. And so he was obviously an influence. Got into coaching. I went to Washington Jefferson with a guy named Tom Ryder, um, who passed away a couple years ago, who was assistant coach at Purdue. Just a great guy, great coach, um, just just a super person. And so he ended up coming back here in administration. And so he was here when I got back to Purdue and had a hand in uh, me getting hired. So, wow. so he really had a, uh, a big influence on me and his family, just a, just a great guy and a great basketball mind. And, um, and so that was my first year. We almost went to a final four in division three. We went to the elite eight. It was just a great experience. Not, but your first year is like, wow, you know, it's, this is the way it is. You just go to elite eight to, you know, it's not, that's not the way it is. So, um, you know, I, I, I worked for a guy in, um, in North Carolina named Dave Davis. Um, and he was the total opposite of coach Katie. So to me, that was, I mean, he pressed, he ran people at the ball, he scores 110 points. Wow. Um, so it was different, you know? And so I was learning a new style, a new kind of brand or whatever. I would say things and he'd say that's, he thought I was crazy and I thought he was crazy <laughs> in terms of philosophy or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm just a young guy. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know, but this is what, but the guy I played for is seven time <laughs> national coach of the year. He's not a buffoon. <laughs> 
You know, he knows some <laughs> basketball. And so I would say some things, and he's like, where'd you get that from? So I got it from Coach Katie, and he got it from Eddie Sutton. Eddie Sutton got it from Mr. Iba. Mr. Iba got it from James Naismith. I mean, I don't, you know. <laughs> and so, like, it was like, okay. All that right. works. You know, yeah. So, But, like, that was, to me, like, and he kind of fought some things that I said, and I, I didn't really try to fight him because he was the head coach, but I would kind of try to get into some discussions and whatever. But it's okay being that way. Like, he's not right, and I'm not right, or he's not wrong, and I'm not. You know, that's your way. You know, that's your way. And it's, and the thing I would say about that style is then do it every day. Then do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Coach Beheim's zone. You know, Coach Beheim's zone really didn't get good until he did it every day. Mm-hmm. He'd go back and forth 15 years ago. He used to be a man-to-man guy. He, you know, and then when he went zone and stayed zone, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, we might have something here. Hey, let's recruit to this. Let's get big guards. Let's swallow up those smaller guards and other teams. Let's get, you know, a rim protector. Let's get long wings. Let's make this impossible for people. Then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, did he have success before? Yeah, no, no question about it. But now he's got, you know, he's got that niche. So that was really good for me. Then I went and play. Then I went and coached for Rick Samuels, who was at uh, Eastern Illinois for 25 years, the same 25 years coach Katie was at Purdue. And that was a great experience for me because he was somebody that, that wasn't a yeller. And at first I was like, I was taken aback by it. Like, what, God, are we going to jump these guys? Are we going to, you know, light some fires here? You know, what are we going to do? And he had an edge to him, but he had his own way about it. And to me, as it kind of evolved and I was with him, it was like, you know what? I can be myself. I don't have to be Coach Katie. I can take a lot from Coach Katie. Right. But I don't, I, you know, because he was his own guy and he had success in the way he did it. And he was a very good teacher of the game. Um, was a very straightforward, honest, um, you know, person, just a, just a good man, good basketball coach, good family guy. And that to me was like, you know, this is what it's about. You know, this is what it's about. Then I went and worked for Bruce Weber um, and he got his first job. So that was cool because it was like been an assistant for 18 years. Let's, let's do everything in our power. He deserves um, to get this going. You know, he, he did a lot for Purdue basketball and 18 years. And so we just had a great time. We had a great experience. You know, obviously I understood, you know, terminology, the vernacular, you know, where he's coming from. And so that was good. Like you, you had, you didn't have too much of a learning curve. The learning curve was him evolving into a head coach from being an assistant forever. What's it and, like, what's it like moving over those 18 inches? I think for him, you know, kind of being yourself, like we, we, we've discussed here, like, you know, I think yeah. when you've been with Coach Katie, who was such a competitor, the one thing you were going to do was fight for Coach Katie. And sometimes we jumped over the fight. <laughs> 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 and so I think for him, just kind of kind of going and kind of seeing how you're going to organize the game and how to run the game. He's a very good um, offensive guy. He does a very good job of running plays and getting guys in the right spots and teaching guys. And, but he's also a guy that invests in players. And I think coach Weber's always been that, you know, he was a good talent evaluator, but he invests in players. Like he would build, it would take a little time, but they would see how much he would care and they would see how much it meant to him. And so he, he was just totally invested um, in that program. And uh, they had a legendary coach there who was there for 13 years and, 
I think he went to seven postseasons, uh, three NCAAs, four NITs. He was a legendary high school coach before that. So Rich Heron, who had great success as a high school coach and great success as a college coach. And it was tough. You know, it's, you know, it's never good at the end. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think any coach would say that it rarely ends right for coaches. It just, that's just the way it is. And, and so that was tough because the community loved him and, and coach Weber was just, he was great. Like he really liked, you know, he spoke positive about, you know, coach Hare and he was positive about everything else. And so, you know, coaches, you know, respect other coaches. And, yes. and I think that was, he was very, very classy in that regard in showing his respect, um, you know, to the previous coach, because media people will try to set things up. How are you different than the previous regime? How are you going to do things differently? And you might just answer it honestly, and it might shed negative light on the previous staff. And you don't want to do that as a coach. And you're not trying to do that, but sometimes it comes off that way. Um, they call that in the legal world entrapment. And uh, <laughs> it happens to coaches all the time. And you're, you're just trying to be frank. And that's why coaches are so guarded. And then, then the coaches are guarded in what they say. And then you're like, ah, he's a bad interview. Well, he's he's trying to, you know, be respectful of other people. And he's also not trying to get bulletin board material for the other team. And so while you're doing that, you're trying to be honest. But you know, you're also trying to stay out of those traps. And so he just, it was just, it was great. We had a, we had a, we had a pretty good first year. The next year we didn't really have quite the year, but we had some guys sitting out. We had some guys coming. And then we were able to really get it going there and get to a sweet 16 and win the league a couple times. And obviously he went to Illinois and then I was fortunate enough to get the head coaching job there for a year and then come back here to Purdue. So that's kind of my, my influence. I probably missed a couple people. I apologize. Um, but that's really kind of the, the influences I've, I've had in coaching. You know, uh, when you, one of the things that uh, I marvel at as I travel the country uh, and I, I, I watch the head coaches I'm fascinated by, uh, but the assistant coaches are so important to a head coach. When you go and hire people, what do you what do you look for? We have, I probably say sixty seventy percent of our audience are assistant coaches. Okay, right. What 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 are, what do you look for in an assistant? Yeah, well, obviously you got to be able to do the job. I think sometimes that gets lost. That is great. Um, and that, and that doesn't make any sense to somebody who's in another employment, Uh, (laughs) another profession, but it gets lost sometimes, you know, I can do this for you. I can do that for you. I can do this for you. Okay. Can you coach? Are you a good guy? Do you have the same values that I'm looking for in this program? So there's obviously in any type of hiring process, there's some weed out, you know, type checkpoints that you got to be able to get to that. And sometimes you'll get some guys that come through the shoot that look really good, but what's under the hood, you know, when you know people, it's different. When you've worked with people, it's different when you haven't, you don't know. And so then you go off some other people and what they're saying is the person who's calling on his behalf, doing a favor for him, or is this exactly what and who this person is and what they can do. So it's hard to kind of decipher through some of those things and figure it out by the integrity is the number one thing. Um, I, I got to have somebody working for me that I can trust that are going to do what they're supposed to do from an NCAA, from a Big Ten to Purdue, whatever the rules are. The coaches out there that don't like a rule and sidestep a rule because they're either trying to get an advantage or they just don't like it. It's not your place. You know, the rules in place, follow the rule. It's not too hard. When people go, man, look at that book. 
boy, that book, how do you know everything? Well, it's not really that hard. You know, read it. You know, read the book. It's not that, it's not that hard. What you have to know through that book isn't the whole, whole book. You just got to know the nuts and the bolts of it, the staples of it. And if you don't, you have a compliance officer. So if you have 25 years of trying to be compliant and then reading a little bit and educating yourself and then through your own experiences, you know, you're going to know it all. You should know it all. You should know everything. And there's people that are going to make a rule, are going to break a rule that don't intend to break a rule. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a mistake. That's what, that's what life is. But if you intend to break the rule and you break the rule, that isn't what it's all about. If your intentions are to break the rule and you know the rule, then, you know, ignorance is not an excuse. So I want guys that, you know, understand that, the integrity of it. And it's like, hey, we're, we are not going to embarrass ourselves. I always tell our guys, this might be harsh for some people, get an F before you cheat. You know how hard the people around you have worked to help you to get here. You have a good family name. Purdue has a great name. Don't embarrass your family name. Don't embarrass Purdue. Don't do that. Now, nobody wants you to get an F. But put your best foot forward and try your best. And if you do get one, so be it. We're going to learn from it and move on. But when you cheat and you get that label, whether you're robbing a bank or taking a cookie, you know, Mm, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like trying to come back from somebody who is trying to, to circumvent things. And then if you consistently do it, whatever, you know, that's just, that's not what you want. It's not what you want your kids to be. It's not what you want your players to be. And so I want someone that understands right from wrong. Um, I want somebody past the integrity piece, past the basketball piece to understand that education is important. I want them to understand that, you know, we are the ones here trying to set the example and get them right. Um, and, but it's, it's going to take a commitment. It's going to take a lot of time. I want hardworking guys. I like guys that have had bad jobs. <laughs> and, uh, and so good. it's like, like when you sit, yeah, if you can get it done at a bad job, you know, go and work the same way at a good job. And so when people say, Hey, you know, Purdue, like we've won the most big 10 championships. Sometimes people's heads spin around like Beetlejuice when I tell them that. And I said, we won the most Big Ten championships. We get the most Big Ten championships. I know I keep saying it, but people are probably sitting there going, no, they don't. And we get it in recruiting all the time. We have great basketball tradition, but it's also doing it a certain way. You know, Wisconsin did go to the Final Four twice last time I checked. Butler did almost win the national championship twice. It can be done the right way. And I'm not saying that other people aren't. Yeah. But those are just examples of people that are in our state in our conference that have been pretty successful. But 20 years ago, you would say, okay, now Butler's going to go to the final game twice out of the horizon. And you just, you know, you'd have bet your farm, you'd have bet all your life savings. No way that's going to happen. And you might've done it for Wisconsin too, but they were able to do it, but they went and they had great staffs. They had great coaches. They had great players, they had great chemistry. You watch those teams and sharing the basketball and playing together and, you know, there was a lot of sacrifices. They had a player at Butler named Ronald Nord yep. um, who started, I think, on the first Final Four team and then didn't on the second one. Um, I'm hoping this is right because this is the story I've been telling for about six, seven years now. But they <laughs> interviewed him. <laughs> you know how those good stories, even if they're wrong, <laughs> just let them be wrong because it's a good story. So they interviewed him and they said, what do you think about being at this Final Four and you're not starting? And he had one of the best lines. And he says, I didn't come to Butler to start. I came to Butler to win. Ooh. 
And that's a, that's a coach's line. That's not a 22 year old's line. Yeah. And, but I think, and I wasn't in and around that program. I've watched them. I know a lot of those guys and, but that kind of, you know, they had guys that went to the final four, went to the final game and think about the people who start on final four teams. What do they do when their career's over in college? They go play professional basketball, right? They had guys coaching high school. They had guys getting a regular job. And these guys start now. They, they had a max out player in Gordon Hayward, but for one year. Gordon Hayward wasn't there the next year. Right. Shelvin Mack was there both years. And then Matt Howard was a high-level European player that was just a great college player. Just a great college player. Just tough, hard-nosed, selfless. Undersized. And, loved him. Yeah. Played his tail off. Played hard. Played hard. And so, but it just kind of shows you. So that that's what you're trying to you know, to get towards, but it can be done that way. So when you go to hire guys, I like talking about things of that nature. It can be done. And that's what we're going to try to do. The Vince Edwards of the world, mm -hmm. the Dakota Mathias of the world, you know, they have a chance to be pros. Isaac Haas has a chance to be a pro, but it's being really, really good. Do you think their success at Butler helped them? You think Shelvin Mack getting to the Final Four twice helped him get in the NBA? Well, yeah. Absolutely. So being together and winning and selling that and getting assistance to understand, the more we're together, the more we have better chemistry, the more we share the ball, we have a better chance of winning. And if we have a better chance of winning and moving and getting deep into March or winning a Big Ten championship, you are going to have more individual success. The people that don't understand that and think they got to take tougher shots or do something more with their game or things of that nature. They're fools. They're absolute fools. And so, but it's your job to educate your players, but also coach your coaches. I think that gets lost sometimes. I thought I've been watching film. We got a couple of new GAs and I said it the other day when we watch it, I said, I know this is monotonous sometimes guys, but I want you to know what, what I think. Cause we don't need four different things being said for one thing. We need one thing being said by four different people or eight different people or 12 different people because that's that's who we are. That's who we have to be. And that gets lost sometimes. When coaches change and go back and forth, you'll get a lot of different coaches on a staff that aren't on the same page. Right. Well, what, what, So we're trying to preach teamwork and chemistry, and you two clowns can't get along together because you recruited one guy and he recruited another? I mean, it's so self-serving. And, I, and I've never understood that, hey, this is my guy. They're our guys. Yeah. And even if I take a job and I didn't recruit anybody, man, they're, they're our guys. That's the way it is. That's what you, you, that's your responsibility as a coach. You've taken these things on. We get to stay sometimes and they got to leave because their career's up. You know, they got a short window and you coach forever in the NBA. Not everybody is Joe Dumars who gets 15 <laughs> years in the NBA. What if a guy gets two years and that's it? Well, you, you want him to get four years. You want him to get, if he got four years, you want him to get, you know, you want to help him extend his career in the NBA. You want him to reach his pension. You want him to win. You want him to do these things. And the best way for all those guys to get all those individual things is for us to be really good together. It's the best way. And some guys are like, well, I got to get my numbers. I got to get this. I got to get that. I got to get that. Boy, if they understand that and you really think that's a benefit and that selfish piece gets out and the Detroit Pistons think you're selfish. Ooh, 
in six months, the NBA probably knows you're selfish. I know that. I know that. And so in college, if you can get that part with your assistants and with your players, and you can get that piece of it to where, hey, I'm selfless and I'm all about the organization. I'll do whatever you need me to do, and I'm here to win. And you're probably just going to be a starter and play all the time and get all the individual things you want. If you can educate them to get there and you can get assistance to understand that, you can get the integrity piece intact and the ethic, the work ethic piece. And like I said, to start with, got to be able to do your job, you know, being in the right place at the right time to get a job. Sure. That's great. But you got to know what you're doing too. What's the best advice you would give to a top flight high school player? that was going to start college about, you know, you know, I, I hate the concept, you know, the one and done. I'm just talking right. about, I want you to go and be a heck of a college player. What advice would you give a kid that, you know, is a highly recruited player, whether he's coming to Purdue or not? I would tell him to go somewhere where you trust the head coach and they need you. Mm. That's what I would tell them. It's a people business. Go with good people. Don't say, hey, this guy is at this blue blood school. He produces. He gets all these NBA guys. Right. I'm not going to say names, but yeah. you think like the number two pick in the draft that was the number one guy out of high school and 18 months later. I always say that about Glenn Robinson. I always say Glenn Robinson could have went on the moon and he'd been the first pick. Did Purdue do a good job with him? Damn right they did. Did Coach Katie do a great job with him? Damn right he did. No doubt about it. We helped him. There's no question about it. But he was special. But if you're not that guy, if you're not Chris Weber, if you're not Glenn Robinson, if you're not Anthony Davis, and you're a notch down, go to where they need you. Go to where you can get there. And so, you know, I think that sometimes gets lost. If you look around, I always say this, if Brendan Sir is the 30th best player in the country, and Brendan Sir goes somewhere that's top flight, and he looks around, and there's five or six people like Brendan Sir. Do they need you? Now, you're going to be a great player there before it's all said and done because you're too good of a player. But will you be a good player from there right away? Well, it's not your ability. Brendan Sir's ability is not stopping him from doing that. It's the fact they don't need you at times. So go where you're needed. Some of the top flight people wait until the spring. They wait until May. I don't blame them one bit. Mm -hmm. They want to paint the picture that it's going to look like when they show up in the summer. Well, that's only three weeks away, four weeks away. So that's what they do. Now, if somebody who's the 80th best player in the country, if he does it, he's going to lose out on some of his opportunities. If you're the 150th best players, you're going to lose out on a lot of opportunities sure. because they're not going to wait for you like that. That's just that's just the marketplace. That's the way it is. That's where you are. Sometimes people don't understand that piece of it. But but those other guys, I don't blame them one bit. I'd like to know where I am. I'd like to know where you are. I want to know who's on my team. I want to know who's coaching the team. I want to know if the assistants are still going to be there. But it's still a people business. So, you know, you can't make a good deal with a bad dude. <laughs> that, that that'll that'll hold true in business and basketball forever. You just can't. You can't do that. I heard Jerry Wainwright say that one time at a clinic, and I was speaking next, and I was like, boy, I <laughs> grabbed my pad of paper, and I wrote that. You can't. You cannot do that. In, deals don't work. 
you got to make a deal. Okay, I'm going to sign you, but I'm going to take your teammate and give him a scholarship, even though he's not a Division One guy, so I can get you. Man, that's not – something's not going to work there. Something's going to go awry. That kid's going to be upset. I took your brother because I want you – you know, all those type of deals at the end of the day is not going to be great for everybody. So – that that would be my advice. No, that that that's you know, I got to spend a couple of days with you in the fall in full disclosure and uh, to be inside of your program for two days. First of all, uh you and your staff are fabulous. Uh your kids are Thank you. I go all over the country and your kids are they're gentlemen and they are they you you've worked with them. The only program I had where every kid came up and shook my hand before I even spoke. I mean that that was so impressionable and we walked out of there and we said wow you know i mean you know it's almost like you know your own personal kids and you say you know a lot of respect for that your facilities and the environment at purdue are incredible and uh and you've made it a destination job and it's your destination my friend and i'm so proud uh so proud to have been there and so proud to watch those kids and i enjoy the success because i root for good people and uh and you're special matt so thank you and the coaches that are listening this is a treat for them i really appreciate you doing this for them oh thanks for having me on i appreciate you asking and Appreciate your friendship. Well, thank you. Hey, before we leave, uh, as a Cubs guy, how would Harry? <laughs> how would Harry Carey sign off on this show? Today? <laughs> well, you did. Hey, you just didn't know if Harry would remember signing off. That would be the thing. I love we it. We all know how he signed oh, off. Yes. Um, the one thing about Harry is, you know, his heart was always in the right spot, and and I think I've I've taken that from from those situations where you have some players sometimes that get off the, the track, as long as their heart's in the right spot, his son, you know, things, was, things can it, work. It, he had, it, he had a huge heart and he was a diehard Cubs fan. I just, when he just called those names from the bleachers, I just wish he wouldn't have taken his shirt off. That's, that's <laughs> the one thing that, you know, just keep, I always say that to our assistants and I'm, I'm somebody that, that battles it and go back. I can go from 260 to 220 and back and forth. I'm always on the crazy diets and trying to fit into my suits. And so I always tell our assistants the same thing. I said, hey, two T-shirts, man. When we go out to coach, if, you, if your body isn't, you know, you look at yourself every day. If it's not where it's supposed to be, two T-shirts. Tuck the first one in, let the other one hang, and then we – Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see all that. So I love it. I love it. Hey, man, thank, thank you so, so much. I appreciate it, Oh, Matt. thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Brendan. All right. I've got goosebumps after, you know, after an hour with Matt Painter. I mean, it is incredible. I mean, the time, every time you're with him, you walk away and you just say, wow. And uh, special coach, special human being, uh, really someone I learn from every single time. So uh, I know that was a treat for me. I know it's one for you people. And so I appreciate uh, we at Coaching You, our team at Coaching You, Alex and Zach and everyone involved, uh, you know, that serve you all year long. And you, in turn, are terrific to us. We want to wish you and your families a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. We hope it's a terrific one for you. And we look forward to to 2018 being a very, very special one for you. So from coaching you, our podcast team, and everyone else, Merry Christmas.